When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm doing a tour of London. I'm doing 12 theatres in London. Great. Coming to a theatre near you. I hope so. Hammersmith, Hampstead. Hammersmith, that's where we'll come. Yeah. I've just put coffee all over my... What do you do? You've kept very trim. Remember when we were doing that radio play? Cigarettes. Ah, great, brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. Because we did that radio play, you were on funny green smoothies and things, weren't you? I've done all that, haven't you? Right. You didn't stick with that then? Sitting in this lovely room, looking at some beautiful paintings. It's called the sitting room, this. Is it? You see why? Oh, I see. Everyone's sitting down. <laughs> I thought that was rather witty. David Tennant does a podcast with... Ian McKellen. Ian, thank you for being here. Not at all. Thank you for welcoming us into your beautiful home. Pleasure. Yeah. On this lovely sunny day. I came to see you recently, Mm. playing King Lear in the West End. You very generously welcomed us backstage afterwards. I brought my 16-year-old son, Ty, who's just starting out on his acting career. You were very kind to him. He was suitably in awe. Of course. As we left, you said something to him like, always take the difficult parts. Is that something you feel that like you've aimed to do? When I decided to be, I'd try and become a professional actor, I was at university with a lot of others who were wanting to do the same thing, Cambridge, mm. in the early 1960s. Well, we ordered a lot of amateur acting, you know, undergraduate groups, Shakespeare lots of, and new plays. And you could act a lot. And I, I did over 20 productions in three years. But once I decided I was going to be a, become a professional, I thought, well, I've got to stop playing these character parts that I usually get. I must play my own age, because that's what I'm going to have to do when, mm. if I become a pro. That was a challenge, because I found it extremely difficult to be myself. I think what I was emotionally looking for in acting was not being myself, mm. being in disguise, you know, which may have been something to do with being gay at a time when... You didn't say you were gay and, and held it close to your heart. And I think perhaps I thought that if I was not wearing some disguise makeup, some wig, some false nose, some costume, that uh, I might reveal something that I didn't want to reveal. I don't know quite what it was, but it, that was a challenge. And for years I found it difficult to just be myself, use my own voice, and yet believe I was somebody else. Well, of course, that's the way you learn, isn't it? If you do something you don't think you can do, you have to work hard at it and come up with some answers, whatever the part might be, or whatever the style that you're trying to capture. So I found that was um, a rule that I've I've, um, informally kept to, that if, if there's a part that comes along that's a wizard, for example... For example... Should there be such a part? (laughs) (laughs) 
I say to myself, well, I think I've rather played a wizard. I don't know that I've got another wizard in me. <laughs> but if I felt that I did, then that would be a good challenge. But on the whole, if, if I've done it and I felt it was okay, then I'd rather do something that I was nervous about and would, would need help in achieving and, and uh, would feel as a result if I brought it off. Oh, well, that mission accomplished. Um, whether it was a success with critics or, or, or the public, uh, would be that, that would be a bonus. So if I advised Ty to do the same thing, I suppose it was in the hope that he might want to be an actor like I am, rather than the other sorts of actor, which I'm not one, who happily and, and brilliantly are themselves over and over and over again, or settle on some character, something like uh, Hugh Grant, or Cary Grant, for that matter. Mm. Who wants to go and see a movie when Cary Grant is in disguise? I mean, that's not the point. You, no, you want right. more Cary Grant. And yeah. You want more Hugh Grant, I find. Well, I'm not like that. I'd rather be the one who comes on and... When's McKellen coming on? Well, he's been there for 15 minutes. Yeah. So you feel you're, you're succeeding when you're in disguise in some way, when you're subsumed? Well, it's easier. If you're in disguise, it sort of releases something in you, doesn't it? It's the old thing that... Uh, some directors do, they give you a mask, like, like the Greeks used to play, and put a mask on, and then suddenly you can do things that you wouldn't quite dare do if mm. people could see your face while you were doing them. <laughs> but I think now, rather late in the day, I'm, I'm at ease with being myself, and, and the Lear you saw uh, was uh, a step forward for me in that I, I was not putting on a funny walk or well, an appropriate walk or appropriate voice, but something that wasn't me. So I tried to just speak with my own voice and uh, I'm King Lear's age, so presumably he could walk as well as I could or, or, or vice versa. And if the words are as rich and as um, dense as, as Shakespeare's are, then let that be the basis for the acting rather than some backstory and some... A limp, you know. <laughs> Is that There's why? There's a story of Olivia going, Lawrence Olivia going into a rehearsal, first rehearsal with a lot of people and saying, uh, has anyone bagged the limp? <laughs> you know, <'cause>... <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, mm. So you sort of, you started off trying to kind of cover yourself in limps and yeah. characters and, and actually the journey has been toward, back towards yourself. Yes. It? And coming out as a gay man very late in the day when I was 48 or something, uh, that was a, a big a big moment when if I had been uh, ill at ease with expressing myself because what I had to express was something that we were all taught other people wouldn't like. When you get rid of all that, well, then, then your body and everything about it, your voice becomes available to and free. Mm. That's interesting, because you did you did Bent, didn't you, Martin Sherman's play? I did Bent, yes. Um, before you came out, which is very much about the Nazi persecution of, of gays. You did that before you came out, and then you did it again after you came I out. I know. Was that a bit, oh, very consciously to see how that altered things? Or Well, it's a, it's a good question. And it would be lovely, wouldn't it, if I were to say, well, of course, when I was not prepared to talk about being gay, although in this play, which was very much about being gay. I gave interviews 
one in particular, to a, a, another closeted gay man, the, re, the, the interviewer, right. Nicholas de Jong, and said to him, this is not a play about gays, this is a play about uh, human nature. And oh, bollocks, I mean, wasn't it? it was about being gay. Uh, some resistance to that, oh dear. We, we revived that production. No, not revived it. We did another production 10 years later. By the time I was out, and you would think, oh, at last McKellen can, can throw himself into this part and be himself. But I think I find myself just trying to repeat what I'd done previously. So I'd look back at myself with bewilderment. What did I think I was doing? Being in Bent and not being able to talk about being gay myself. Yeah. That is the pressure that we all felt was on us. I think it's hard to... to... I think within your lifetime, that's changed so oh, yeah. dramatically, it's hasn't fast. it? That it's hard to now, especially for, well, for someone, for instance, of Ty's age, to sort of appreciate that that was the world by then. Which is, a, it, it's wonderful that we've come that far, but extraordinary. And I mean, when I, <clears throat> I go to schools quite a bit and talk about being mm. gay, I, I talk about what it was like to be gay, you know, before they were born, and, and their jaws drop open. They cannot believe what they're hearing. That, you know, you could go to prison if someone found out you'd been making love to another someone, another man. Mm. Didn't apply to women, oddly. Well, I think, I hope that's all in the past now for me. Not for, not for everybody. I mean, the people have a bad time in even this country. A lot, lot, lot of homeless young people are gay who've been thrown out by their families. You know, it's horrible. How would your parents have reacted if they knew? Oh, I wish I'd, you know, it's greatest regret of my life I didn't tell them. My mother died when I was 12. Mm. And my father when I was 24. So I didn't talk to either of them about it. And yet you, you always knew that you were gay. Did you always understand what that was? I mean, at 12, did you have a sense of yes. what that was? I, I remember a, a, a boy... I was in love with at school about 15, and I think he with me. It came one day with the news that we were just going through a phase. He'd been told that by a teacher. And I thought, no, I'm not going through a phase. I, I went through a heterosexual phase when I was about 11. But that was the last time. So, <laughs> How did that manifest itself? Well, I a, a, a sweetheart on, on holiday. Right. She was called Wendy Cadwallader. We must have been nine or ten. And when the holiday ended, we wrote to each other. Well, I got letters from Wendy and I wrote to her. And then our lives were totally apart. Until about a year ago, I was at the National Theatre seeing a play and at the interval I saw this person advancing on me. I thought, well, I'm going to have to have a conversation with somebody I don't know. But she introduced herself and said, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm Wendy. Oh. Wendy Catwallard. I'm looking at a white-haired lady. Grandmother, she told me. She's keen on the theatre. And I said, Wendy, well, I said, we used to write to each other, didn't we? She said, oh, yeah. I said, did you keep any of my letters? Hmm? Yes. Have you still got them? No, the, the day of my wedding, I burnt them all, she said. My. I thought, what did this nine-year-old put in these letters that, for her, had to be 
removed if she was going to get on with her life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there was must have been some passion there. And, uh, well, been. we both remember it. Yeah. But I think that was the last time that uh, <laughs> I thought that I might be uh, normal. Is that the word? Yeah, so I always knew I was gay. But then it was possible, I suppose we all did it, to, to survive and uh, in a sort of secret life. Presumably growing up in Wigan. Wigan and then Bolton. And then Bolton. Two towns close together. Were there any, were you aware of any gay people around you? No. No. No, my best friend at school was gay. David Hargreaves, he and I went everywhere together. Never knew we were gay. Right. Oh, well, I, he didn't know I was and I didn't know he was. Right. Yeah. It's bewildering. Yeah. Bewildering. Yeah. Getting to Cambridge was different. I fell in love then. Had sex and thought, oh well, uh, 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 I, I detected a network that it was possible to contact, and I think one of the reasons I be- was keen to become a professional actor was that I, I thought, oh, that's where I'll meet some other queers, as right. we called ourselves. That's proved to be the case. So, so the, there was a safe environment within Cambridge where you could be. Not entirely secretive about it. Yes, but yeah. with... but I, you know, I, I never saw two men being affectionate in public, even to the extent of holding hands or arms around each other, unless right. they were coming back from a rugby match. I mean, no gay clubs, no bars that I knew about. Anyway, it was all secret handshakes and spending the whole evening wondering whether it's possible that this boy you were attracted to was also gay and working your way around. Yeah. Oh. And breaking the law, if you then... Well, and knowing that the the end result of any (laughs) close affection would be that you would break the law. Mm. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, that applies in a lot of countries today, you know, and uh, makes people's lives uh, an unnecessary misery. Mm. But when you went to Cambridge, you weren't... You didn't necessarily know you were going to be a professional actor? I didn't. I had no intention of being. What were you going to do? No, I was going to be an amateur actor. Right. Well, there are lots of them. And I was going to become another one. I mean, you know, those are the actors I knew, really. I'd seen professional actors as a child, many of them, but I'd also been to a lot of amateur productions. I knew the people in them, because some of them were teachers at school. And then I joined them as a a kid and walking on in place. So I knew it would be possible to hold down a regular job, but in the evenings, act. As, As many... Wonderful amateur actors do. So I thought it was going to be trying right. one of them. What would that regular job have been? What, when you yes, graduated from Cambridge, what would you? Well, I might have become a very bad teacher. Right. I hadn't really got right. I I I wanted to be a, a chef. That was the first job I wanted to do. Then I wanted to become a a journalist. I think I might might have tried that. Though it was difficult to see when you're outside the business. How on earth do you become a journalist? I mean. Like young people say, I'm going to become an actor. But, and I did apply for a job and um, was told to go away. <laughs> I, I used to write little bits for the Bolton Evening News that were published. On what topic? It was for the chit-chat column. Right. You were a gossip columnist, were you? Yes, but, but about things like um, a housewife in Barrow Bridge heard the first cuckoo of spring yesterday and dropped the iron on her dog. <laughs> You know, things like that, which I made up. Right. But 
Yes. Oh, the thrill of that. Seeing my writing in print. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like it. But I'd send these little things in. And the next day, I'd go to the library, after the public library after school, queue up to read the Boat Leanly News, which was put up on sloping tables. You, you, you could, so you could read the daily papers. And I'd queue up for the Boat Leanly News, race to the chit-chat column. Was I in there? Well... It, sometimes I sent in these pieces, and it was months later that they were used, but the thrill of it. So I, I, I suppose to journalists, and, and to, be a, to be a journalist in the thick of it is a hugely important and influential job. I, mm. I can imagine it would have been exciting to have done that. And I, I've done quite a lot of writing since, but it's always been uh, non-fictional. It's always been reportage. I think there's still a bit of me that would like to be a journalist. Report. Yeah. Set, tell it how it is, which is what we're trying to do now. Sure. But you didn't. You, were, you headed out into the world of acting. Uh, after a year, I, I got a great review in a, in a national newspaper. Right. And I, I remember coming in that night to do the show. It was, it was Henry IV Part Two. I was playing Justice Shallow. And so playing I, I, a very elderly gentleman at the age of 20. Preparing to play Gandalf. Right. Sure. Long beard, yeah. pointy hat. And and the friend at the stage door of the arts, I could take you to the very flagstone where it happened. He said, uh, I suppose you'll be getting yourself an agent now. Well, after that review in the News Chronicle, what's an agent? Oh, Ian, everybody has an agent. And I, that was it. Oh, I see I'm going to become a professional actor. I'm good enough to be. If you spend your childhood, as I did, going to Stratford and seeing John Keelgood, and Charles Lawton and Paul Robeson and Peggy Ashcroft, Dorothy Toot, Lance Olivia, Vivian Lee. didn't cross my mind that I could ever be in their company other than sitting watching them in the, the theatre. But then I'd had a wonderful review. Wonderful. And, and, you and had... so, so that was illuminating. I, yeah. I'd never thought of it like that. I, if, if people ask me what you're going to do when you grow up, I'd say an actor. But I, I meant... Act. In your spare time. In spare time. Right. Hmm. Do you remember seeing performances as a kid that that were formative? That yes. You... Right. <laughs> like who? Yeah. Well, there were two crucial early theatre-going experiences. One was Peter Pan, not the only middle-class boy to fall in love with the theatre through Peter Pan. Well, I must have been three, I think. We went to a matinee. I remember we had to leave early to get the train back home. Well, I was well prepared for it. Will it be a real crocodile? No, it won't. And the first thing I noticed was the wires. I thought, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Three. See the wires. See, it's not really flying at all. I, I missed the fact that uh, Nana, the dog, was actually a smaller actor wearing a rug. I, I, thought, I thought it was a real <laughs> real dog. But I remember we had to leave. We were in the dress circle, and I can see now we were just going through the door into the foyer. And I looked back, and, and the, the, there was it was a starry sky. It must have been close to the end of the play. And I said to myself, I'm going to, I'm going to have more of this. Well, same theatre, I think it was, in Manchester, big theatre, Palace Theatre, where I saw... 
for my mother's birthday, went to see Ivan Avello's latest musical. Now, Ivan Avello was... had a celebrity the like of which I don't think anybody has these days. He, he wrote musicals. He didn't sing, but he always appeared in them, and he played the romantic lead, and he often played the piano for the leading lady to sing. He was very beautiful. And his musicals, before Lloyd Webber, before all that, uh, they were operettas, I suppose. Sentimental, romantic, beautiful, people falling in and out of love. And King's Rhapsody, you can tell from the title the sort of shows they were, starred Ivan Novella. Now, he must have been in his early 50s because he died during the run of that show when it got to London, where Gone Granger played his son. Oh, wow. <laughs> Well, when Ivan Novella bent, he was wearing a silk dressing gown, noble profile. He leant over the back of a sofa and handed a glass of champagne to Vanessa Lee, his leading lady. And I had the first erection that I remember having. And you knew it was about Ivor and not Vanessa? Oh, Good point. Yes, I, did. <laughs> I did, I did. But the idea of being an actor was what, what I... I've, I've always wished I'd done more new plays. I've done quite a few, but... Uh... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It would have been nice, apart from Bent, which was a play that educated the world, really, about... um, the ill-treatment of gays in, in the Third Reich, Hitler's Germany. I haven't been in a, a startling new play, you know. I wasn't in Look Back in Anger. Mm. I wasn't in Waiting for God her first time round. And those actors who have, I think, are very lucky to have, uh, be associated with a perhaps a shift in the way the theatre has developed. But, uh, but acting, you you do open yourself up as an actor and and you, you will discover in yourself good things, wonderful things, impressive things, but you, you maybe also uncover something which isn't very good, like not being helpful and not being attentive and not being a good colleague. Oh, dear. <laughs> did, did you read your reviews and do you read them? Oh, now? yes. Oh, right. I do. It's helpful for me to know what, what the general impression is. You pick it up quite soon that actually the show is not quite as good as everybody thinks it is, or your friends tell you it is. Yeah. A lot of the times that it is, maybe. You hope there'll be something useful, but very rarely is, because, of course, reviews are not written for actors, but for audiences, aren't they? Do you not fear that you'll read something that will haunt you, some criticism or, or even some bit of praise that might... Yes, well, it, yes, that that can. Why well, do you not read them? I try not to, but you're right. It's hard to avoid, and you do get a sense of whether it's something is generally mm. going in the right direction or mm. not. But on the whole, a really good 
review in the sense of highly complimentary. A rave is not ravey enough. You want more. Sure. But didn't they see what I was doing there? <laughs> not enough to say I was majestic. In what way? <laughs> the most majestic. There we go. But uh, Harold Hobson, the, the, the actor who had said of my Richard II that when McKellen enters the stage, the presence of God is felt in the audience. That surely was enough for you, wasn't he, it? That was fine. <laughs> but then when he said of my... The best thing about Ian McKellen's Hamlet is his curtain call. Ouch. Worse still, he put in the same review, he said, this is a Wolfit production without a Wolfit. Now, Donald Wolfit was yes. a famous uh, touring actor in the main who didn't always employ very good actors to be with him, although one of them was Harold Pinter at the first time. And it, it was said, that I think it was not fair, that he employed lesser actors to make himself look better. So the productions were dreadful, but he shone. Well, m my Hamlet was a Wolfit production, but without the Wolfit, so... And did you agree with him? I did. Oh. It was not, not a very good... I was running alongside Hamlet. Right. Telling the audience what to look at. I wasn't being Hamlet. Right. I couldn't understand Hamlet at all. I, I just didn't do Hamlet well. I saw the Richard III that you did. I came to see you in Edinburgh, King's Theatre Edinburgh, which apparently I'm... I've looked up, it was March 1991. That was the first time I ever saw you on stage. Hey, yes. We came through to a matinee from oh, yeah. the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama in a coach because Phil McKee, who'd been a couple of years above us, was cast as the yes. second murder. Yes, he was. Remember him well. Yeah. So we all tootled through. We did other him. things together with Phil. Right. Yeah. And it was... Uh, couldn't remember anything about it. I remember, I remember the opening distinctly. I remember you coming out of oh, yes, that's dry good. ice. Yes, yes, yes. Ramrod Strait, thinking, yeah, oh, I thought right. he was supposed to have a hump on <laughs> I remember the incredible sort of clarity that you had and that you there was almost acrobatic the way you would take your, with one withered arm, you'd take your great coat off and you'd put it back on again. It was... Very off. Well, but it was yeah. it was dazzling. And that's yeah. quite, in a big theatre like that, that was... Yes. And I just remember that on a wet Wednesday afternoon in March, when you'd been doing this already, you were already quite far into a long tour. Yes. Oh, yes, we did it all over the place. And you still, you had such commitment to it, such kind of, it was so vivid. Yeah. It was a great production and, and you within it were so... Yes, good. But I remember as a, drama, as a drama student, that was very, you thought, oh, even on the wet, wet oh, he turns up for the I for have the no, I've no, I've no difficulty in, in doing a matinee performance with as much enthusiasm as I do the evening because because of you sitting there, because it might well be me sitting there. Mm. And in a long run, a year's run, I, I, it's a very easy thing to say, tonight, this afternoon, there's someone, they're probably about 14, and they're going to fall in love with the theatre in 10 minutes' time, if we do it right. That's a great spur. Yeah. And, and if I can't, still can't quite believe it, I, I'll look through the curtain. And try and find him or her. Yeah. It's for you. It's interesting. I was wondering, because you're also, in relatively recent years, become a comic book hero and a, 
you know, a, a whole new generation. Mm. You're one of the most famous faces on the planet because you're <laughs> Magneto and you're Gandalf. And, uh, and that... Peculiar. Do you think there's something about that kind of heightened world that classical actors are rather good, rather mm. good fit for? Well, I know people do ask, is it, is it, is it difficult doing Magneto after... Macbeth. Yeah. Well, well, no, I think <laughs> the two help each other. Yes. Yes, I think once you've done pantomime and once you've done Shakespeare, there can be few surprises. Mm. Your character flies. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> of course he does. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't find that a problem. He's still a real person. I, I, I understand him. Yes. I, I remember a friend saying in Hollywood, we were doing um, Reaching the End of the Lord of the Rings films, you know your life's about to change totally. I don't know what he was talking about. And it has, not 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 to the extent that it affects every moment of my life, but having a connection with uh, people because of that job. China, Korea, Japan. I know nothing about those cultures, really. And yet uh, they've responded to something that uh, I did. They probably haven't heard me speak. Because no, it'll quite. be a local actor put doing the Gandalf voice. <laughs> With no effort from me, I've been able to ride in this uh, successful vehicle through Middle Earth and uh, playing a good person too. Yes. Gandalf ain't a villain. No. He does things that... People don't understand, and he seems at times to be a bit stern, but he does it for, for love. He wants the place, the world to be a better place. And what a model for, for young children to have, a, a granddad who wants the world to be a better place and knows what the world is. It's a wonderful person to be associated with. And you you very much enjoyed that association. You know, As a result of that, you're going to schools, you're... Well, I'm allowed to go sure. to all sorts of places. I'm at, they let, they let me into schools as Gandalf. And by the time I finished talking, of course, they, they might think, how do we let that old gay man talk to our <laughs> kids? Well, because he's talking about something that um, concerns uh, <laughs> children growing up gay or having friends who are growing up gay or having parents who are gay. Mm. The more it's talked about, the better, because the, 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 the less remarkable it is. Yes, Would you and I don't feel I've cheated because, you know, if someone says, ah, well, anyone who played Gandalf would have been a success, and I think that's true. Uh, we were always making jokes. If I was feeling a bit off-colour, we'd say, get John Hurt in, you know. But I think I've earned my right to be a... call myself an actor because of other work. It wasn't, it wasn't that difficult playing... Uh, it is lovely to have a catchphrase. I've got a catchphrase, you <laughs> shall not pass. I've always thought it'd be lovely, wouldn't it, to be like um, Bob Hope or, or, or uh, Morecambe and Wise. And as you walk on stage, they play your signature tune. I wish I had a, a signature tune. Thanks for the memory. So, um, but it's it's again. I go back to Ty in your dressing room, who who you know, and you very 
you very kindly took some of Lear's flowers from your dressing room table. Oh, yeah. And you gave them to him. Will he keep of, them? Of course he will, forever. <laughs> yes. I mean, he'll keep the memory for the rest of his life. But that, yeah. that becomes very sort of, you know, and that, that sense of sort of handing something on physically as well as yes. representationally, I think, was very... Well, you know, I, I love actors. So vulnerable, so optimistic, usually so ambitious, and doing it with other people, and, and that young people want to do it. Now, you detect some young people want to be professional performers because they're so confident, and others, perhaps like your son, well, there's a lot of work ahead, but it's going to be worthwhile because you're going to be with people you like mm. and who'll, who'll help you. Do you feel like a national treasure? <laughs> <laughs> I think you probably are now. I suppose I still am, but I used to be very shy. And to go to a party for me was misery because I, I didn't feel I could talk to anybody. It's to do partly to do with being gay. When, when I was should have been meeting new people... I've been sitting in the corner longing for it to be over, you know. But now I can walk into a room of strangers and almost anywhere in the world and there'll be somebody who knows who I am and be happy to meet me. Well, that's a wonderful way for a shy person to go into a room now. Eh? When you, but when... then half of them think I'm Dumbledore, uh, <laughs> which, I, which I'm not. I said I said to Mike Gamble, do, do you ever get mistaken for me because I'm often mistaken for him. Oh, yes, he said. He said, that. they give me their wretched photographs, I sign your name, he said. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's good for you as well. Yeah, people do get you confused. Yes, keeps your feet on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Just one thing I want to pick up on, because you talked you talk about being shy and... We've talked about the fact that you didn't. You came out when you were forty nine, I think. Yeah, it's a lot of life to live before you did. But then, when you yeah. when you did come out, you seem to have this anger and this articulacy. You became a sort of political advocate, apparently overnight. The first time I had anything to do with politics, public politics, was when we were doing Bent first time round, and we we, we marched through London with representatives of every other West End theatre and a lot of theatres outside marching against VAT on theatre tickets. You don't pay VAT when you buy the collected works of Shakespeare, but if you go and see a Shakespeare play, you're taxed. This seems to be nonsense. And the commercial theatre and the subsidised theatre, writers, actors, stage managers, agents, we were all on this march. As we went back past the Arts Council, it was guarded by policemen. I thought, Arts Council should be at the head of this march. You represent us, not not the your paymasters. But we got to the Royal Opera House and somebody asked me to go and sit on the stage and speak and say something. And I found that I could. It just happened. I didn't prepare what I was going to say, I don't think. And I, I just made a few simple points and and got a rousing reception. I, I, I just hit a chord. And it was the same when I came out. But in, in anything I said publicly about, about how the law should be changed and how, how it should be changed, I took advice. I, you know, I, I often... My script was often underpinned by 
other people's point of view. But, but it was great fun. If you've had this dreadful secret, this negative in your life, which, once you come out, suddenly becomes a positive, what you've been frightened mm. of talking about, when you can talk about it, you feel the relief. So I wanted to talk about how happy I was for myself. I mean, it was unfair on everybody else if they couldn't come out, and they couldn't come out because the law was dissuaded them from it. But being an actor, not being frightened of a big crowd, I, I could stand up in Manchester in front of thousands of people. Almost anything you said was going to be well-received. Uh... And then you'd, you'd, you'd go and do a bit of things on... But I'd done enough chat shows to know how to handle David Frost. It was... Anyway, I'd known David at Cambridge. He was an actor. So when he was interviewing me, I, I wasn't... didn't feel there was much at stake. I could just be myself. But it was a little unnerving, but I, I sort of became a poster boy because, you know, quite a famous actor coming out was news in itself. If he then went to meet the Prime Minister. Mm. I had to be careful that I was saying the right thing but, and because I don't want to fuck anything up for... Do you think you'd have and any still good... do it, you know. You know, I get invited, to, as I was last year, to Russia, where gay people have a bad time of it. India, ditto. I met Mandela to talk about putting gay in the constitution, the new constitution. It's been wonderful. Yes, the world's become a better place for gay people in this country. So whatever else is happening, you know, whatever current preoccupation seems to suggest that the world's going in the wrong direction or that when I look around at what's wrong with our society, at least I can say, well, we got this right. And once Northern Ireland accepts that two men or two women can get married, mission accomplished as far as the law is concerned. Have you been involved in a campaign? No, not, not like that. No, not with that. What about, what about those dreadful hackings? Of, were you not involved in I that? I got a bit? my phone hacked a bit, yes. yes and, I, and were you able to do anything about it? Yes, we went to court and got them you to, to apologise and wrote, wrote us a cheque and all that sort of stuff, yeah. Well, you must have felt there that it, you weren't doing it just on your own behalf. Oh, no, oh, absolutely. And that's why I wanted to pursue it. Because yeah. you, on one hand, you think, do I want to get on the wrong side of these newspapers because they can make your life hell? But on the yeah. other hand, you think, well, it's important that I do because yeah. that shouldn't be allowed to continue and you have to eventually take a stand, I suppose. That's right. But I, I don't feel like that. I mean, that didn't wasn't going to particularly impact on my life, I don't suppose. I mean, I, I, it seems to me that in, when you when you came out, there was a suggestion that an actor coming out then would in some way torpedo their career, which didn't happen to you at all. But was that... A On the contrary. Yeah. They used to say, you'll never get re-elected into Parliament if you tell your constituents you're gay. Mm. Not true. Mm. In fact, usually sitting MPs who come out increase their majority, often against the trend, because the locals like the fact they feel they got an honest person. Right. No. Oh, you can't be a teacher if you're openly gay. You can't be a priest if you're openly gay. Apparently, you can't play soccer if you're openly gay. Well, that still Apparently. seems to be weirdly the case, doesn't it? I mean, it's the same argument. 
they, they, they won't take it. The audience won't have it. But yes, they will. Hmm. They don't give a fig. They want you to be good at what you do. They, they want you to score the goal. Sure. What do you think about people? Because there are still actors now who don't who choose not to come out. Mm. How do you feel about that? I feel sorry for them. Would you encourage them always to do so? Or? Yes, absolutely. Well, I know they'd be happier if they do. Mm. And when people say, "But I, w- I want to be the next Tom Cruise," and I said, "Well, there's only one person going to be the next Tom Cruise. It might be you, but there's an awful lot of other people who might be as well." What's so important about acting that you live a lie? How could being successful as an actor be a compensation for that? And you're worrying every day that someone's going to out you, someone's going to snap a photograph of you. And anyway, you're not going to be the next Tom Cruise. There's only sort of three or four successful romantic deeds at any one time in Hollywood. Why would you be one of them? <laughs> you know... Oh, go and become a gay agent, become a gay director, become a gay designer, become a gay masseur, become a gay drama teacher. Or come out and your career will carry on as it always did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but most of my, most of my fan mail's from women. Right. And I had a love, I remember a love letter from a woman saying, I'm devastated to discover that you're she said, you've been my fantasy sex figure all these years, and now what am I going to... She said, what am I saying? She said, it's ridiculous, it's only fantasy. You can carry on being my fantasy <laughs> sex figure. So she answered her own question. <laughs> well, absolutely. Yeah. It's perfectly possible now to, to be openly gay and, and, and not be stuck with playing only gay parts, if that's what you want. I feel like we've... Well, it's not been much of a conversation. I've been answering. I'm, that's what that's. Is that all right? Of course it is. You're much more interesting than me. Oh, um, stop it! Well, no, I thank you very much for doing this, and uh, it's been fascinating. Thank you for your insight and articulacy. Oh, and everything else, and thank you for being so generous to tie. It meant the world to me. Oh, well, that's easy, easy. Thank you for today. This was great. Not at all. David Tennant does a podcast with is a something else and no mystery production. Produced and edited by James Deacon. Additional production from Chris Skinner, Steve Ackerman, Sarah Camlett, Josh Gibbs, Joel Freeman and Georgia Tennant. Next time. Jennifer Saunders, Joanna Lumley, Kate Moss, Gwendolyn Christie, me, uh, Lulu. All these people walk into the pub and the dude is just like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like, is happening here? Imagine a world, a world just like our own, but importantly, not our own. Is it the alternate dimension or are we? And does it have podcasts? The Last Post. Hi, I'm Alice Fraser, bringing you daily news from a parallel universe. 
It's a sweet, sweet dose of satirical news coverage, some of which will sound pretty familiar. He defended him, saying he broke the lockdown rules on a father's instinct. And I just think if Boris had shielded his dick as much as he's shielding Cummings, he might actually be in a position to give parenting tips. And some of it is just pretty weird. Air in space is becoming much clearer, Alice. And it's quite shocking because there is no air in space. It's empty space. So join me every single day alongside great comedians from around the world, including Andy Zaltzman, Nish Kumar, Tiff Stevenson and Will Anderson. Good luck to you.